Well, I think for me, I know this is bad, but my earliest memory of just feeling hopeless was when I was about three or four. So let's rewind back. You know, I'm the child of immigrant parents. My dad got deported. My mum was then a single mum with two children. So I was one of the children that was actually sent to go and live with white families in, in Peterborough. And I was very young. So I was one, like a black girl in a space. I remember they had to cut off all my hair because obviously they couldn't manage my hair. And there was me. And I remember that they were like, eat spiders and, you know, all sorts of weird things. And I was like, okay, because I'm three, I'm four, you know. Um, and then they'll be all laughing at me and, you know, and then saying all sorts. And I was just so young. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss? Or is it something else? Because not every else a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everybody to another episode of Every L Podcast where we discuss when you're dealt with what looks like an L in life, is it actually a loss or could it be something you can learn from, take something away from, evolve from, I don't know. You tell me. But I'm of the opinion with every high comes a low. Social media tells you and shows you if you ain't going to buy, if you ain't putting up pictures of something that's popping off in your life, you're copping an L. You're not winning. But the truth of the matter is a lot of us are going through things that don't, in the first instance, look like a win. So let's talk about it a little bit more and explore it because ultimately it will help us feel less alone. I am, as always, super happy, super privilege to have this guest on now this guest i have attempted to do it one time before didn't happen for technical reasons but i felt like it was a therapy session for me so i took that on board so i'm happy and i'm grateful to her for spending the time with me anyway but now try to get her on a bit of technical difficulties but we still we still made it work we still made it work because she's oh my worth God. i'm gonna have to interject in your intro now because you're bullying me already but go on it ain't bullying it's just stated facts let's be honest here right oh, i apologize so, i apologize it's you know time. because <clears throat> someone maybe wait like an hour so anyway so <laughs> <laughs> you're quite bullying that that that's neglect <laughs> That's I publicly apologise on the podcast forum. I even said, you know, I'm surprised Matt is still talking to me, but that is that is a testament to your patience and your resilience. To be fair, I was editing another podcast <laughs> episode, so it's calm. <laughs> no, but you are worth it. And I, I, I've, you know, in the time that I've known you and watching you just do you, you've just been incredible in terms of all the things you've managed to achieve, create, maintain as well as your home and your household and everything else that your relationship with your other half that for me is just positive it encourages me so why wouldn't I try and just have some of your time just to hold a conversation and share some of your stories I think you know you graciously gave me time like I said when we tried interview last time it didn't quite work out and you shared some stuff and you kind of made me think in a way that I hadn't wanted to think and I'm grateful because sometimes you need to be challenged like that it's just it's just right and 
I just want you to win. I, I, I'm seeing you catching some Ws and it's fantastic, but I just can't wait for you to be in a position where you personally feel like, you know what, I can sit here and just take in this W, but I know you're not there yet. And you st- and you're still, I don't want to say you're not, I don't want to say you're humble enough because people that are in that position are not humble, but I want to say you still got that hunger, that desire to say, I'm not in that position where I'm happy to just say, pull up the handbrake, let me just chill for a bit and soak up all the praise and accolades that I've achieved. But long and short of it, folks, I have a fantastic person. Her name is Agnes. She is an amazing human being. She, unfortunately, is not on camera, so you can't see her, but go check out her Insta. Like, boy, trust me. Her husband will fight you, but I'm telling you, worth it. So, um, got beautiful babies too. Um, She does the most with them, and she's got so many different things going on I'm not going to go into them because I won't be able to eloquently put it she'll be better at doing that for me but I'm so grateful the things she's going to share I have no idea what they're going to be but trust me I have a good sense that it's going to be a doozy because everything she seems to be dropping is just 100 so Agnes if you don't mind could you please introduce yourself to the people that don't know you Great. Well, first of all, Matt, thank you. I'm not sure if I'm worthy of such an introduction, but I'll take it. I'll take every win, (laughs) every win I can get, I'll take it. So thank you so much. So my name's Agnes, as you rightly said, Um, a social impact entrepreneur. That's how I now describe myself. Um, And it just basically in short means that I run several different um, brands or organisations, but with a kind of a social impact mission at the heart of it. That was very succinct. That was quite impressive. May I ask how many you actually have? Well, <laughs> I'll say the ones that I have that are, that are kind of known, I probably have about three brands, but there's other stuff behind the scenes that I'm working on at the moment. So let's say let's say three or 2.5 at the moment. 2.5, three kids, a husband, a house. This girl is just Wonder Woman. <laughs> I don't know about that. You just wonder where she pulls out all these extra hours from. I don't know about that. And she has time to jump on the podcast. Like, come on, people. Seriously. <laughs> you can't understand why I want to understand. I'm trying to tap in to understand how she does it. Because no. I got three kids. I'm at the best of time. I need some matchsticks in my eyes <laughs> just to keep me awake. But my girl here is just living life and winning. So, yeah, it's fantastic. I, yeah, she's got something going on called Glow Mama. Do you want to share a bit about that? Yep, so I founded the Glow Mama Awards. I can't believe I'm even saying that we're going into our fifth year. Like, it just feels so surreal. Nice. Um, and the Glow Mama Awards is an annual award that celebrates the mum, celebrates mums on social media. So I like to call it, like, an influencer award, although it's not influencer, but it's for, it's for mothers, right? And it really is so important for so many different things. First of all, we're the first generation of women to give birth during this digital age. Like our parents, we don't have our parents or our mothers to look to. So our whole kind of motherhood and parenthood, because I'll go on to fathers in a minute, has kind of been shaped by this kind of social media revolution. And for me, I always say social media saved my life. You know, as a mum, as you rightly said, I have three children and I suffered postnatal depression. I've had suicidal thoughts, like so many. I've been in really, really dark um, places. And it was through social media and through seeing other mothers share their authentic 
parenting like journey that made me feel like, you know what, Agnes, you two can do this. And so the actual term Glow Mama, which is the name of the awards, was actually my affirmation. And I used to say to myself in my lowest, 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 lowest points, you know, Glow Mama, keep glowing. And that affirmation got me through some really difficult times. And when I was kind of coming out on the other side, I said I needed to create this platform to celebrate those mums who, unbeknown to them, are inspiring and helping other mums like myself to glow through their through their posts. I never imagined that it would kind of catch fire in the way that it has. I didn't imagine that I didn't imagine that people would even take it seriously. I thought, okay, I'm going to put out this online awards. It'll be a bit of fun on on, on the kind of digital platform. I'm at that time I'm a mama free, breastfeeding mama free with very young children. I can't really go out anywhere. So it just keeps me having something to do in the middle of the night when I'm breastfeeding or, you know, I'm at home and baby's falling asleep and I can't get off the couch. I can play around with this little platform. Um, but it's just, it's just grown and I'm just so proud of Glow Mama and just so grateful for the community that we've been able to build. That's amazing. And I'm grateful that he was able to eloquently put that. It's nice to hear the passion come through on that. And I'd like to think a lot of people can kind of relate, those that are parents at least, where it's a matter of whether a child's just on you sleeping or you're trying to feed, whether it be bottle or breast or whatever. At least you can kind of say, yeah, I can identify with that. I kind of need to have, make sure my phone's available yeah. with a significant amount of charge <laughs> and within reach. So I could just turn the brightness down. Honestly, just... honestly, because sometimes I know it's like, yeah, you're on your phone, but if baby is asleep yeah. and I cannot get out of that position, I cannot move, right? I dare not turn down Coco Melon in the background and I'm literally <laughs> a hostage in my chair. Then the least I should be able to do is to plug onto my phone. And I, you know, whether it's, I don't know, look at the news or, you know, whatever else is going on. But for me, it was, it was this platform. It was, it was digital social media and then creating a platform on the back of that. Yeah, no, that's great. And you mentioned something about fathers as well. Yeah. So last year we launched the first annual fatherhood awards and that was amazing. Um, we had no choice but to launch it because a lot of the dads was like, look, she doesn't even get up in the middle of the night, right? So all this <laughs> mama, mama magic stuff. Let me tell you what really goes down. So, you know, on the back of that note, but on a serious note, you know, fathers are doing amazing things and we wanted to make sure that it was a platform to kind of shine a spotlight on all the amazing work that dads are doing. I mean, there's single dads, they're dads who have been widowed there's dads that have overcome some really challenging and life-changing situations and you know they show up every single day they show up the best that they can and it was it was such an inspirational um event and we want to keep on growing that and making sure that if mums have got their space but fathers to parents in general parents have got a space where they feel celebrated and they feel acknowledged and they feel valued and in in doing that it kind of lets them go out and gives them that boost to keep on glowing at home and glowing in all the spaces that they frequent. That's powerful. And I hope, you know, people that are listening will go and check those out because ultimately they even know a dad or a mom or both that they can maybe go, yo, check this out. It might be something you want to connect with because it's better to have access to support and maybe not use it than feel like you need support and you've got nothing there whatsoever. 
Exactly. And that's what the platform is about. Because yes, it's nice to win an, win an award. But I always tell everyone, I've never won an award in my life, right? And I'm still a glow mama. Like, so the award is the, is the end result. It's the kind of the bit of the fun. Yeah. But the main part of the award, um, I mean, of the glow mama or fatherhood, whatever it is, is to be able to signpost fathers, mothers, co-parents, whoever you are in the world, to different pages that may be your tribe, that may inspire you. When I first started the awards, I didn't really have the vocabulary to describe it, but now kind of going into our fifth awards, it's digital peer support. That's what it is. And so many parents say year on year that, wow, we look so we look forward to seeing who's going to be a finalist because we know who to follow. We know the podcasts to go and listen. You know, hearing we have a category, you know, most inspiring mama, most inspiring father. And, you know, we've got parents who've overcome all sorts. Cancer, we've got parents who've overcome stillbirth. We've got parents who, I shouldn't say overcome, are overcoming and then navigating those, those spaces because it's not something that you just overcome, but you learn a new way of living. We've got parents who have been through so much and still have the energy and the grace, I don't know where they find it from, to still show up for others. Um, equally, you know, j- being a parent, that's not all we are. You know, we have, like, Glow Mama, I love this group, um, Mums That Rave, they won our second annual Glow Mama Award. And I still love, you know, I still love Funky House. I still love Garage and all the old school tunes. And having spaces and places where you can go to and you can go as a parent, show up as who you are, but still listen to your old school school music and dance like you did when you were 19. It's therapeutic. You know, that makes me go home and feel like I can be an amazing mum for the whole weekend and I feel uplifted. And so that is what these spaces and places are about. It's, yes, an award at the end, that's shiny, that's nice, but really it's about uplifting us so that we can go and pour from that full cup. I love that because it's true, you know, Thinking about if I was to go raving, would I want some of this music out there? No, because half of them say, look at this new jam. Man, that's a remix of the genuine song for back in the 90s. Shut up. Exactly. It's all like, I feel like I'll be put on the front to try and fit in with people that are not my people. But if you could just rock up and go, are you going to be with a dad bod? But they get it because they got a dad bod too or they got a mum bod. It's like, do you know what? Them stretch marks, beautiful. Don't worry about it. Do you, do you. It's fine. And, and and that's what it's about because like when we went to that month at rave, I remember it finished at like eight o'clock or nine o'clock. They had a uh, a panel discussion, and then it went into like a party with a DJ and everything. And I left that place at nine as if it was like two o'clock in the morning, like you know, like the old school days where you now have to take off your heels. I I weren't wearing heels; I had trainers on. <laughs> you know better. <laughs> yeah, I walking my heels where I did, but. It was that kind of vibe, you know, like the music, we were dancing, we were getting down, we were laughing, we were like, it was such a good vibe. And I still managed to just get home in time and and sleep early, <laughs> wake up and go about my business the next day. So it is amazing. That is fantastic. And, you know, I wish you every bit of success with that. And I hope people that hear about it, that are new to it, will gravitate towards it and just help get you in front of other people to help support the wider audience because we all need support. And I'm, I'm all about that. But what I'm excited to do is let's talk, talk about your L's now, guys, girls, and however else you identify. Now this lovely young lady who was tardy, um, she um, doesn't want to tell me what else was discussed. She like making this proper hard for me. So we're going to go off the fact that she told me she's got a PhD in copying L's. So 
I'm going to leave that with her and ask her, please tell me a time where you were hella frustrated. Something didn't go, like you worked hard, you was hoping, your fingers were crossed, everything was crossed. You hoped for something to go a certain way. It didn't go that way. And you was upset and you thought, that's it. My world's crumbling because that was the only, that was the only opportunity. When when does that happen to you, if ever? Well, to be honest, as I've said to you um, several times, my whole life has been an L. Um, <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but it really has. It has. And I'm so comfortable with my L's now. Like, I, I know now that L's are part of the process. So when you ask me questions like, you know, tell me a time when I've been frustrated. I've, I've been frustrated all along. Like, I remember times when I've gone out there and, you know, I'm looking for work and people don't even want to, they're not even, they don't even dignify me to return the call, you know. Um, I worked in recruitment for a couple of years and I hated it. I was good at it, but I hated it. It didn't nourish my soul. You know, when you go out there and you're just doing your job for the sake of doing your job. And I wanted to move into like other industries and other things that I knew that I could do. And, you know, I was just typecasted. You're a recruiter now. That's what you are, you know. So you can only go for recruitment jobs and only these type of recruitment jobs. And it felt so destroying because it's like I'm... This is just one aspect of me. I know I'm multifaceted. I know there's so much I can bring to the table, but people will just see your CV and see that this is all you can do. Um, but I think my approach and the reason why it was so hard to answer that question, to, you know, like, talk to me about your L's is because right now, like the season I'm in now, I love my L's. Like, if I'm not losing, I can't win, right? Because what I've grown to understand is that you're not going to put out an idea and win the first time off the bat. Like, that's not what's going to happen, right? You're not going to, like, some people, maybe the, the luck of a draw, they'll send off their CV randomly, they'll get the job, they'll have a business proposal, they'll put it out, they'll get the money or the funding or whatever they need first time around. But for most of us, we're not that lucky, right? Um, and so what I've realised, and, and, and I've reprogrammed my mind to understand, is that every time I'm getting these L's or these knockbacks, whether, I mean, now I'm not looking for work, but during the seasons of looking for work, or now I'm a, a social impact entrepreneur, which means I'm basically a businesswoman with a social mission, I now kind of reprogram my mind to understand that if I'm not getting enough L's back, that means I'm not trying. I really am not trying. If I'm not getting enough rejections and enough, you know, actually this is not for us, then I'm really not spreading my 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 net far enough, if that makes sense. So for me, L's are no longer losses. It's a part of the journey. It's a, it's a way of finding success. And I think since I've reprogrammed my mind in that way, my outlook is completely different. And I feel like I started to have so much positivity around me. I'm starting to win. Or or even if I'm not winning in the way I want to be winning yet, I can see where the wins are going to come from or I can see where if I keep pushing this way or being redirected. So if I don't get that, where am I being redirected to? I think that's beautiful how you put it, especially how a phrase came to mind and it was a matter of you 
learn more from losses than you do from wins. Because if you think about you, every time you took a shot, it was a hole in one, it was bullseye, top bins, whatever analogy you want to go with, it went, right? What are you learning from that? People are going to tell you how they got the struggles going on. You can't empathize with that because you've never been there. You always come up trump every time you apply your hand to sign. Going through the process, yes, you can learn a lot. And I think it's beautiful how you've managed to have that mindset. I think I've previously said before, you can't add a filter to your life, but you can change your mindset and change your perspective. And I think that is something that will help you to get what you want out of life. It may not seem that way initially, but if there's nothing else you can do other than change your mindset, that's a hell of a change that you can apply to your life. And I think that is number one. I think you know, not I think, I know, I'm, I, you know, I stand resolute in this, that one thing that life is going to do is throw you curveballs. One thing that life is going to do is do the unexpected. Yeah. One thing that life is going to do is humble you. Like these are things that it's just the law of the way that the world works. So then you need, if you know that life is going to do all these things to you, then the only thing that you can do is start to change your approach to it because you know, you, there's nothing else you can do. Like you can move to the left, the L's are going to find you to the left. You can move to the right, the L's are going to find you to the right. So now if you're stuck in frustration and you're stuck in, I don't know, just why me, why me, why me? And that's all you're living in, in that season, then you're not really going to be able to navigate or come out of that of of that situation you're just going to stay and be stuck yeah and I guess it goes back to that phrase where you can't stop a wave but you can learn to surf and the power rests within you as much as you feel like everything's out of your control it's a matter of uh, understanding what you can change and what you can't change and what is in your control the reality is is that as a parent and I can't speak for anyone else that's not a parent at the moment because my mind's not allowing me to think past the days when I wasn't a parent but as much as you try and plan things around your children to make sure they're safe, they're in a place where they did fall over, you've got the right things in place and medication to give them a plaster, um, you know, the antiseptic gels and whatever else, right? Cool. But when you start thinking, right, if they go into the big bad worlds, if you want to call it that, you try to think, well, how can I control those different environments and relationships? And that becomes, oh my gosh, trying to just do all things going in your back garden or in your home front room is stressful enough. Trying to then deal with something that's that large and that vast can be overwhelming. And you start feeling that you lose yourself within it. So rather than try and fight it, I guess potentially try and lean into it might help you to say, I can't handle it all. But what I can do is know how to deal with something, a curveball, as you put it, when it comes my way. Look, that is it. Like when I was young, and I wish someone had told me this when I was young, like, all my life, I can't think of a time when I was in my educational, um, from, I'm trying to think from nursery, like when did you start your education, nursery, preschool, literally, um, I've had, I can count on with fingers, the amount of teachers or people that have believed in me, like everybody else is like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a total write-off, yeah? And that's how I've lived my life. Like I've always known that, you know, everyone's always underestimated me. I... You know, and I shouldn't say I, I didn't or did help the situation because at the end of the day, I was a child. So, you know, if people are telling you all the things that you are not and all the things that you're not, you know, as a child, you know, what do you do? You start becoming the very things that people are telling you that you're not. 
And if somebody had told me in that time that, you know what, this is it, people are going to have their opinions of you and they're going to they're going to say all sorts of things. And at the end of the day, you need to stand resolute in who you are. That could have saved me so much, I don't want to say personal heartache and introspection. However, obviously for me, I always say that was my cross to carry so that my children don't. I think for others though, that are kind of listening in, my hope or my takeaway or the takeaway I would want them to take away from this is that like, you're, you did not come onto this earth, right, to just come work and die and be miserable. Like, I don't believe anybody, whether you're a Christian, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Buddhist, whether you're atheist, you know, it doesn't matter what you, who you are, what it is that you believe in or that you don't believe in, right? I think one thing that we should all be thinking of is that we're not on this earth just to just float away and be miserable and, and be soul destroyed. I don't, I don't think that's what it is. So it's then, okay, we know these things are going to happen. We know that the unexpected is going to happen. How can we upskill ourselves to be prepared for these different eventualities? It doesn't mean that we're not going to cry. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have self-doubt. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have insecure moments. But our bounce back game, like how are we going to navigate in that space? right? And that would be what I would hope anyone takes away from this. And even for myself, like to just keep reminding that, you know, where, where I've come from, where nobody believed in me, I then didn't believe in myself. And that impacted how I operated within the world to actually change in my mindset. And I'm glad that you pointed that changing my mindset and changing my mindset, probably in my thirties, you know? So again, that's another takeaway. Sometimes, you know, when we look at the love islands and the way that social media um, I don't know, portray the world, we assume that we need to have all this figured out in our teens and our 20s. And if we don't, all the mistakes we've made in our teens and our 20s, that is it now. You've just got to live the rest of your life until you're 100 in in bitterness and in, in self-pity and in regret because you have screwed up your life, right? Whereas actually you can reinvent yourself at any time in your life. Like, you can be in your 30s, you can be in your 40s, you can be in your 50s, it doesn't really matter. It's the moment that you start saying to yourself, you know what, my mindset needs to change, right? Yes, this person might be a hater. Yes, my manager might not want to give me the promotion. Yes, you know, people don't believe in my business and I believe in it. Like, all these things are true, but my mindset and my approach needs to change so that I can overcome whatever it is that is around me. Beautifully said. My question for you then, because you spoke about your background, growing up and stuff like that, you, L, when did you first, or when would you first say you felt like everything just like weren't meant to be the way you wanted it to be? And how did you deal with that? Because for me, I, I guess I'll openly admit on this episode for whatever reason, but through the number of conversations I've had with my guests, and I think not only, don't get wrong, I talked to like, you and other people offline anyway, but talking having these types of conversations and then having to edit the episodes, I'm having to then consume it once again, but marinate on it in a different way because I've already listened to it the first time. has helped me grow as an individual, especially about the various topics that people discuss and help me process information in a different way. That's me now in my 30s learning that. When I think about myself as a youngster, I don't think I was the best version of myself and partly for that is probably because 
I think now I talk to a lot more black people than I did when I was younger, just because of where I grew up. And the impact it's had on me is different. Although the conversation I'm having now with people that look like me is different because you guys are in a different headspace to how you probably would have been younger. But it's just telling how, wow, I'm definitely not that person. And my previous environment probably wasn't the best environment to nurture who I was meant to be, or I guess in the long run it did. But where did you feel? Because I know I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. I didn't feel confident in a lot of things I said because I always felt like I was going to get in trouble for one thing or another or whatever else. But when did you feel that, yeah, man, I'm just I'm just not winning right now? Not in, not necessarily in that f- phrase itself, but you just felt like everything you was doing wasn't the right thing to do. And how did you do it? Because I knew I got hella frustrated with stuff like that. But how did you deal with that? Well, I think for me, I know this is bad, but my earliest memory of just feeling hopeless was when I was about three or four. So let's rewind back. You know, I'm the child of immigrant parents. My dad got deported. My mum was then a single mum with two children. So I was one of the children that was actually sent to go and live with white families in in Peterborough, basically, was it Lincolnshire or somewhere around then? And I was very young. So I was one, like a black girl, in a space, I remember they had to cut off all my hair because obviously they couldn't manage my hair. Um, and um, there was me and I remember that they were like, eat spiders and, you know, all sorts of weird things. And I was like, okay, because I'm free, I'm four, you know. Um, and then they'll be all laughing at me and, you know, and then saying all sorts. And I was just so young. And that kind of, like, I remember the feeling as if it was yesterday of trying to fit in in spaces as, first of all, a black girl away from her family. My brother, because my brother, so my between me and my brother, there's like a five-year age difference. So whereas my mum having an eight or a nine-year-old, it was easier in the house. So my brother didn't have to stay there as long as I had to stay. Or sometimes he could come and stay for like a couple of weeks and then go back where for me, it was like I was living there. And so my earliest feelings or my earliest memories were memories of not belonging of memories of feeling different, of memories of knowing also, not the feeling different, but also my blackness in in a way, because I was the only only black person barring my neighbor, the neighbor, sorry, at the place we used to stay at. Um, She was a lady and a white lady and she had a black child, but she was so, I remember thinking, why didn't she, why wasn't she my foster mum basically? Why wasn't she my foster mum? And it wasn't necessarily that the house that I was in was completely awful, although, you know, I won't go into all of that. But it was more that the next door, I could just, from a young age, I knew there was love there. Does that make sense? And I knew, I felt it at a very young age that I was a means to an end. So I didn't, I couldn't articulate it, but obviously my mum paid. Because how it used to work for those that are listening is that there was like an unofficial fostering system that used to happen so instead of your child going out to foster through social services what would happen is migrant families in particular would send their families into the countryside and there would be a a family there that would then look after your child and then your parent would pay them just like having a childminder to look after your child so I was one of those and I didn't realize how many other um like black British children I've spoken to who are parents of migrants, especially Ghanaians in particular, that's happened to. But 
I remember they used to pinch me, they used to kick me, all sorts. And I remember coming back one on one time for holiday. And I remember saying to an aunt, like, they pinched me, they kicked me. I used to say so much, but the aunt said to my mom, like, you cannot send her back. Like, are you not hearing what she is saying? And that's how I stayed back. But then even then being back, because my mom had to work every job that there was. You know, it's not like there was time for me, but I remember those times then being my happiest times. But then, you know, being a poor black and girl, child of a migrant, you know, it's like you're a tramp, you're this, you're that, you know, people call you darkie, even in London. And so my whole childhood, you know, from being young was one of feeling like I didn't belong, feeling very ugly because I was always told I'm really black, my lips are big, look how red I'm putting lipstick on my lips. You know, imagine I'm seven, I'm eight, and then people laughing. And I was not just from um, white families, that was also from black Caribbean families as well. Like there was a lot of that, you're Marga, you're this, you're that. And so in the end, you know, you're doing that to a little girl, by the time you get to like nine, 10, 11, you have, that is who you are. You know that you're a dark, black, ugly child with big red lips and that is who you are, you know? And then you go into the school system and the school system, they already see you like that. They just see you as like, you're going to amount to nothing. And they used to tell me that, like, you know, you'll be lucky if you, you know, get a job in McDonald's. And that's nothing against anyone that works in McDonald's, but it was very much, they were not saying it to me in any empowering way, right? They were saying it to be um, to, to be degrading, right? Even though for me, I'm a hustler, I will work any job. Even now, if I have to work, I am not job shy. But they were not coming from a place of love. Equally, then when I was in school, I was put down on every lower set. So it meant that even if I wanted to get certain grades, I couldn't. And so that made me very angry all the time. I was a very angry, loud black girl during school. I had no choice to be because at the end of the day, if you're going to pick on me, right, because of who I am, then I'm prepared. I'm ready. I'm, 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 before you even think to play your position, I'm already ready for you. Um, so I became so used to just being a write-off. Like everybody knew I'm like, like it was Agnes, if that makes sense. But I, yeah. one thing about me is then I learned to be like, well, you know what? I don't have the clothes. I don't have like, you know, people are seeing me as a tramp or whoever else that they want to enable me. But my mouth, my energy, my being like, oh, chin up, even in my, even in my lack of, chin up like that was my kind of and people hated that because then it's like who do you think you are to be this confident in yourself who do you think you are you know and that was just how I moved um and so that's why I say when I say like all my life has just been an L in that way it's because I've been written off from the very beginning of time like always have been written off and I remember um a funny I, I call I see it as funny now um, I did my degree. I've also uh, also did my master's, and I was handing in my thesis. Um, and I was at um, Embankment Station, and I was sitting down, and I looked, and I went, "Miss, I won't say her name, but she was my form tutor." And she looked at me, and she was like, "Oh, I can't remember you." And this is a lady who um, had taken me out of my classes and, and sanctioned it 
saying that I had special educational needs and I ha- I didn't and I do a lot of work around special educational needs now so I'm not saying that like I'm against those that have but I, ha- I, I hadn't right but because they couldn't understand why I was still so confident in the way that I was yeah. they would take me out of my classes and 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 I, I remember asking me questions like how do you write do how do you write it how do you write and I would get so angry with them like and obviously getting angry then I would start I don't want to say cussing them out but literally so then now I'm I'm the very thing that they say I am isn't it so I get detention and, and all the rest of it and um she tried to get me a mentor and again she was she was a black teacher and I, she, you know tried to get me a mentor and but she never had a, gave a damn about me like you know like I knew she didn't give a damn about me I was just like an occupational hazard right probably like in the class like she didn't want to be associated with me because you know she is definitely not a loud black woman and so this woman is like this child is acting like that so you know we need to differentiate before anybody thinks I've got this kind of blackness in me that's how I I I interpreted it at the time so anyway fast forward I saw her and I was like hi miss miss you know I, I don't want to say her name and anyway she didn't recognize me so in the end I said oh before I told her who I was, I said, oh, yes, you know, I've gone on. I'm doing my master's now. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I tell her, told her all the things I was doing at the time. And she was like, oh, my goodness. Sorry, your name. And I said, Agnes. And her face dropped to the floor. And at that time, as I said my name, the train was coming. We are both getting on the same train. She said, like, I've got to go now. I've got to go. And ran to the other carriage. Ran to the other carriage. She ran, fled like a, like a sewage rat. Yeah. And I... <laughs> I just felt so chuffed at myself because I thought, you know what? That was actually on purpose then. So I wasn't imagining it because if you've seen me now and I'm telling you that I'm actually doing okay at that moment and you really thought and genuinely cared about me at that time and genuinely, even if it was misguided, right, were doing those things out of love of being a teacher, seeing me now, you would. why, why are you so shocked? Why are you running away from me? You know? But obviously because you knew that I was a write-off in your mind and this is one of the ones that, like, will she even finish school? Will she this? Will she that? Seeing me was a shock. Um, so, yeah, I've just been, like, with when it comes to L's, my, I don't even know where to start because I, I can go through every season of my life has just been L's. But I think because I experienced L's and I remember them so clearly from such a young age, I had to then start having coping mechanisms just to be able to survive, just to be able to find the courage to be able to step up every day and go into school or go into any different setting. And I'm not talking now as a victim because I don't see myself as that, but I see myself more as a victim. I had to then find coping mechanisms. And I think what's happened is as I've navigated, so that happened as a child where I obviously didn't have much control over those different environments. But then as I've gone on into the work life and into friendships and into business or into different, different streams, as I've gone on into different areas, that little girl from me remembering when I was three years old, right? I I can default into, okay, how do I now take the poop? I don't don't know if I'm allowed to swear, so I'm gonna say poop instead of the (laughs) S-H-I-T word. But take what's being thrown at me and then being like, okay, you know what? I'm now going to actually manage it in this way. That's 
a lot. It's a lot. Had no idea. And and this is a perfect explanation or a perfect example. That's what I'm looking for. In terms of don't judge a book by its cover. Because again, looking at you, could I even have thought that would have been your childhood? No, never in a million years. But here you are telling me, yeah, that's what it is. And a lot of things come to mind thinking, especially with an episode I've had before with one of my guests who had abandonment issues because her parents left Africa to come to the UK and they took the parents and her siblings and left her on her own. And that, that her relationship with her parents is not where she wanted to be, going therapy on it because of the situation. Here in your situation, it's like, wow. So not just your relationship with your parents would be impacted, but your relationship with everybody would be impacted, especially like I'm thinking about, right, when was it that you felt well, why am I doing this? It's not me that's wrong. It's them that's wrong. Like that, that, that type of fortitude is strong. And I don't know what age a person really should be developing that, but it sounds like you got it from a young age. And I'm thinking, right, I'll fast forward many, obviously like your businesses, you, you still secure yourself a job. So somehow you're able to present yourself in a manner that is well received by people. And I'm like, okay, cool. You've done that. And don't get me wrong, I was listening, but I was my head was just going, oh my gosh, how did she do this? And I'm like, she's got a beautiful family. She's got a man. So that must have even been a struggle at times because of her past. Like, how did you deal with those relationships? Yeah, I mean, it is a struggle even. I feel like it's a, it is always a struggle because, again, like I come from, I don't want to say I come from nothing because I don't come from nothing in the sense that, you know, my 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 family they you know our history in in the world in in life is is deep but when i say I come from nothing like i am a story of you know the the migrant family that is looking for their stay in the country and you know i spent my childhood with my mum going from one cleaning job to another walking from holborn to charing cross to all the different sites you know i remember very clearly sitting in um, I think it's like Bakerloo, um, Bakerloo Courts or wherever, Courts or Judge, where, anyway, Magistrates and so forth. My mum used to clean there and my mum would give me paper to keep me occupied and I would do my drawings and so forth. And to be honest, like, people don't understand me. Like, even now I don't feel understood, and I, but I'm okay with not feeling understood. I think for so long... I used to be shouting like, why can't people see things my way? And being a poor, dark-skinned black girl who's young, no money, no no roots in the country. So you don't have like your cousins that are coming through. You know, you have family, but do you know what I mean? Like when you're growing up back in the day, you need to have the entourage to back you. You're, you're so-and-so's cousin or, you're, you know, I don't come from any of that. No one cares. And I... I remember like even five, six years ago when I, again, I've gone through many seasons of reinventing myself. It's not like I discovered um, how to navigate my elves when I was 18 and lived happily ever after. Like this is, I'm still very new in this mindset. And I remember somewhere reading a quote and it's very profound for me because I say it all the time, but no one cares about your story until you win. So win, full stop. There's no other verse or anything underneath that. And that really stood out to me because I think, you know, when you're talking about like, how do I navigate all those spaces? There is a lot of issues. Um, I would say that just like anyone, you know, our childhood affects us. And for me, 
I probably didn't have a childhood from a very young age. I had to learn to be very, you know, like when you have as parents, you know, we're trying to create a cocoon for our children because at the end of the day, they're going to be an adult for a very long time. And if we can give them the, the building blocks of, of self-love and nurture and resilience and, you know, discipline and all of that stuff, we can do that at home, then it means that hopefully, you know, hopefully we just do our best and then we send them out into the world and they can become productive adults. But for me, I didn't really have any of that. You know, I raised myself. My my parents will tell you, no one's ever done a homework for me in my life. Um, no one's read a book to me in my life. But I grew up like that, that like there was no one backing me and saying, like, Agnes, you've got that. And my mum, I rarely saw my mum because my mum was always working. So I had to raise myself. And so even now, um, in the season that I'm in where I still go hard and people are like, oh my God, like Agnes, um, you know, sometimes I can be very abrupt. Sometimes I can be very direct and so forth. But for me, like it is what it is. Um, I'm not saying that I'm not like, I don't have emotional intelligence and, and so forth. But I think when you've been, when you've had to raise yourself in essence from a very young age and you've had to- You do what you gotta do. Do you know what I mean? You've had to survive. Uh, there's no room for ambiguity, if that makes sense, because the ambiguity is actually um, dangerous. That'll kill you. It will kill you, right? Because you're in a very dog-eat-dog situation and you need clarity. And I feel like a lot of that is what I use now, which is, which in a way it's helped me because people that I work with, especially in business, people want in integrity. They want all, um, authenticity. They want to know who they're dealing with. So, being direct and being, you know, upfront, and this is my cards on the table, and this is how we move, it does help me. But then equally, it can come across as, okay, wow, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it can come away as both as, as both ways. Um, so you're right; it does impact. Um, it does definitely impact relationships. It does impact. Um, it does impact a lot of things. But then, in a, in in a way, would I have it any other way? Sometimes I ask myself that, and I know. It might sound raw, but I wouldn't actually have it any other way because if people had act, actually gone through what I've gone through, a lot of people would not even be standing here. You know, I've had counselling before, and I remember speaking to my counsellor and um, or my therapist, should I say? And you know, I'm there trying telling her so many things and waiting for her to prompt me to give me some sort of steer. And I remember her putting her pen down and saying, "But how can you just tell me like?" what you do and how you've overcome and how you're able to talk to me so eloquently in front of me. And I was like, I ain't coming back here again in my head because I'm thinking, <laughs> I need you to give me answers. No, bless her. She was really lovely. But it's like, if I really started going in deep, this is not even deep, right? Um, you, you know, a lot would be understood, if that makes sense. I hear you. And I think for me, I'm trying to connect the dots and it's a big chunk of, don't get me wrong. It is definitely surface level conversation here. Um, time would never allow for us to go in depth. And, and the concern I have with going too in depth about something that vast anyway, is the fact that I am not, I'm not equipped to be able to help you heal after reliving some of those traumas. And I'm not naive to think, Oh yeah, this is just, just, so bear your soul. It's all right. I'm not going to be the one picking up those pieces, and it's not fair. But 
in terms of connecting the dots, for me, it's a matter of you went through this and I still can't get over it because I'm trying to think, for me as an individual, at that tender age, how would I have known to keep going? How would I have known not to just crumble under the pressure of people's expectations and what people are saying and just follow suit because they said, do this, all right, cool. You're this, all right, cool, whatever. No one's telling me otherwise, so I'm going to do it. But it's just... It just feels unimaginable to think that the person you're describing versus the person that you are today is you. Like you went through that and you didn't have the backing, but you didn't let the weight of it crush you. But instead you let that pressure turn you into a diamond. You see, so for you, you would say um, versus the person I was and the person I am. But for me, I'm, I still see myself as that girl so it's very hard to separate the two because it's it's me isn't it um but I think I've just had everybody count me out like everybody from family to friends to like and it's been the story of my life from the from I can't remember you know like somebody might have been in a life and then at 10 their life changed no I don't know any other way like I don't know any other way so because I don't know any other way, I only know how to survive. And so in that realm, I'm at the stage that I'm in now, you know, when I find myself in situations, in fact, the best thing someone can do for me is write me off. When somebody is like, you know what, you're amazing, you're good, and I've just got all of that around me, that makes me feel comfortable and it doesn't really drive me, Yeah. But because of my history and my past and my my foundational building blocks, for some reason, when someone writes me off, it drives me even deeper. I can't sleep. I'm relentless. Like, when I'm written off, yo, seven days, I will have about five hours sleep. It's not a joke. Yeah? It becomes my adrenaline. I become obsessive. think I need help for this you know um because I become obsessive I'm sure somebody listening to this will maybe say this is a diagnosis of something because I'm really trying to figure it out um and I do believe it's because as I said I've been written off like I I can't I've been written off since I was so young and so even now um like when I think about like glow mama how did glow mama start you know suffering postnatal depression um People were sniggering, like, oh, you know, you got your three kids, you're finished now. Like, you know, even to my face, people I thought that was people who I thought were my friends, I realized that they were just waiting for me to fail so they could literally say, it's all you, look at you. Like, some of the things that people who were my so called friends said to my face during my season of like postnatal depression was shocking. I remember being pregnant with, um, with my middle child and you know, obviously, I don't want to point fingers because certain people wouldn't have actually known I was going through suicidal thoughts, so we wouldn't have actually had that ability, yeah. that ability. But things that people were saying around that time, and even knowing I was pregnant, it made me understand that, wow, like people don't actually see me as a human. Like they don't actually see me 
in in a graceful way. They don't actually see me as deserving of grace and softness and and love and vulnerability. Like they don't see me yeah, compassion. in that way and compassion. Like they don't actually see me in that way. Like, you know, I can only exist amongst certain people if I am Agnes, I'm strong and I'm hard. And at the moment I even perceive and have a little piece of um, vulnerability, and I will not call it weakness, it's vulnerability, it's the grace to be soft, all of a sudden um, now it's like I can be a laughing stock, right? So I think it's so hard to even answer your questions because I don't know any other way. If you're talking about health, I don't know any other way. And I use all of this even now to keep on going, to keep on pushing. And sometimes it's challenging because when do I stop? When should I say, Agnes, you know what? You don't need to keep on pushing anymore. And I, and I, I listened to an interview by Will Smith and it's very similar. I mean, I, I don't have Will Smith money. I'm nowhere near Will Smith standard. One less zero. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, no all, all the zeros. Like I, I don't have. I don't. I don't have. It looks bigger than what it is. But what I will say is that um, Will Smith said something. You know that he grew up very poor, and that you know the problem he has is that even though he's successful, he can't stop working and he can't stop pushing because it's ingrained in him because he's so scared of going back to that place, you know? Yeah. Um, even though he knows, like, it's mathematically impossible for him to go back to that place, he can't stop. And I suppose for me, I'm I'm like that very much, right? I, I'm, I'm a workaholic. I'm a dreamaholic. I'm a, a pursuitaholic. I don't know what to say. I'm a holic in all those areas, personally for me, because where I've come from, like was so below the low, like where's the earth center? Like the, the earth, not even the cross, the core, the earth core, the little red bit, like it was so <laughs> low in that way. But because I know what that looks like, I can't relax. Like there's, I can't relax and be in a situation where my children, you know, because of the moves I didn't make, I put my children at risk of being there or God forbid something happens to me. Yes, they have their dad and stuff, but like, I would want to know that I've done certain things. I've instilled certain things in them. You know, like my daughter and my sons as they grow will be a part of what we do with Glow Mama. My daughter's head of hospitality, that's her job. You know, so she comes around, I'm starting to already, you know, upskill her and not, I shouldn't say upskill her, but have her part of it, you know, and yeah. fun, in, in a fun way. You know, she comes, she dresses up. Her head of hospitality means she eats the sweets and she <laughs> says hello to people. like that's She's sampling the goods. She's making sure they're adequate for she's your She's making guests. sure they're adequate. She's testing the sweets and yeah, stuff like right. that. She's only, she's only 10. Um, but there's so many things that, for me, I think of because I have a fear that, oh, my God, like, my babies are young and if something happens to me and I've not been able to learn from my elves and create a, 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 not a safety net, and I'm not talking about even money, create an environment where they have the resilience to be able to overcome and God forbid something happens to me, then that basically it'll be like a generational curse. Like they then 
will be a product and they will then have to, you know, um, go through the things that I went through. So that there, forget money and stuff, that there is what keeps me going more than anything. That's a fair show. I'll ask you this question. Based on how you grew up and the way you were and how you felt, how is it then you was able to position yourself to be able to apply for different jobs if you've always been undermined and second-guessed based on your ability? Because you worked in recruitment, which is a very target-driven job, which means you've got to be eloquent. You've got to be able to work under, well under pressure. But I would like to think potentially they wouldn't hire you because they might have thought, Psh, she ain't nice. She ain't going to be able to do any of this stuff. But you was able to present yourself in a way that was good. I'm very much an opinion of, and this has happened to me in the past, where I wasn't happy in the job I was doing. And I was going through a season where I weren't in a good headspace. And when I had an interview, it came out in my attitude. And that cost me the job, which isn't a bad thing because I wouldn't be where I am today. However, I need to, I learned a long time that if I want to leave somewhere, I need to go before it infects me to my core where it comes out in my everyday speech and how yeah. I represent myself but you seem to have not had that problem you sound like you was able to just bypass that and just channel it into something else I guess like kinetic energy you know something happened to you and instead of you taking an impact and it being something that's going to hurt you you've just done okay cool let me store that and I'm going to redirect it this way like, how do you do that well I think when you first of all when you've lived in rejection and that's all you've known. Like, I don't know any other way, or I didn't know any other way, right? Um, that becomes your norm. And I've suffered, and I talk about postnatal depression, but I've suffered mental health problems, I would say probably throughout my adolescent age, you know, because of things that I've experienced, but then not having the support. So I wouldn't say that I've eloquently been able to do anything. What I will say, though, is... Something that has helped me is I've always been competitive, yeah? Um, you know, I loved athletics. I loved the high jump. I loved the long jump. I, I loved I loved sports when I was younger. And my mentality of winning, yeah, uh, is second to none. I like to win. Even now, I'm a winner. I like. You don't to play win. for fun. You play to win. I play to win. Like, yeah, that's it. And so what that means is that, like, I, for example, let's say with jobs. I remember like applying for jobs, nobody hiring me. I remember sending CVs. And I always say this story because it's the one that really sums it up for me. I sent out a CV. I'd gone out the night before with one of my with one of my friends, and she is Caribbean and I'm African with an African sounding name. And she has a Caribbean but a European sounding name. And I did both of our CVs. I sent them out. And um, I did them all. She was sleeping. And next day, her call, her phone was ringing like you wouldn't believe. I didn't get one call. I never got a call. Um, and she got a job from that. For a long time, she stayed in that job for years. And so, you know, I started understanding that, like, I'm, I'm <laughs> the onslaught is coming from so many different places and spaces. You know, even the unconscious bias, because... Obviously, it's, you know, my surname, people... And, now, and then I worked in recruitment years afterwards, so I understood that they probably looked at my surname and thought she's not a cultural fit. That's the term that they use um, from that. But the only difference in those CVs literally was the name. Maybe slight variation, but so slight that it's not notable. So I've had to keep on pushing. 
yeah, all my life. Keep on pushing. I've had to make sure that if somebody is sending out 50 CVs, then I'm sending out 100. If, you know, I would go on YouTube and upskill myself, you know, I would sit there and learn. I'm, I always say I'm a student. I don't think I've arrived anywhere. I've not arrived. The moment I think I have arrived, that's the beginning of the end. Because I do believe when you think you've arrived, that is when God humbles you. Like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a student. And now I can articulate that. But when I was younger, in my 20s, and looking for work and so forth, it's not something that I could articulate. However, I've always been a student. I've always liked reading. I've always, okay, something's going on here. Let me go and YouTube and Google and, you know, let me go and research that. And then having that as my fiber. Now, my problem was that I didn't realize at the time that I was, I don't know, like how you described it. You said, okay, Agnes, you know, how was you, how did you go from here to there? I never knew when I got to however you perceived there was, but others around me did. But, and it's not their job to tell me, oh, Agnes, you know what, you can do amazing things. But I didn't really have people that, even when I came out of that season, to tell me, you know what, Agnes, you can do amazing, you know, to build me up. I never, I never really had friends like that. I was always the one that wanted to please, every, like, build everyone else up, help everybody else, you know. Oh, my God, you can do this. Oh, my God. Goodness. I was like, you know, the safari. You were yeah, I was always the friend that was hyping everybody else up, but I didn't really have that um, for me. So there was never really a time. There's not still a time now. Um, it's just that I had to work harder and I'm competitive. So winning and finding a way was never really an option. And it's hard. I don't think you would have an answer for this. And I think you potentially could if it was around your postnatal depression. However, I'll leave this to you to answer as you see fit. Now, if you could go back in time, and I know you said you wouldn't change anything, and I get that, but if there was something you could say to a younger version of yourself where you know that you was struggling, you weren't in the best place and you weren't reacting in the best way, what would you have said to that version of yourself to help yourself to steady the ship and go, do you know what? Just stay the course. What would you say and when would it be? I would have said, from even when I was nine, to love yourself and put yourself first. And I say that now and, I, and to myself, and I would have said that to younger Agnes. And the reason that that is so important is because when you love yourself and you put yourself first, you attract other people of that, on that level that love you for how you love yourself. Yeah. Whether that is friends, you know, whether that's anything, whether that's relationship, whatever that is. Yeah. So the very young Agnes, even at nine, and I would have just encouraged her that you're right. <laughs> you know, not you're right in everything. But there was many things that I um, thought and I would just, I'd be very explosive. I had really bad reactions that were not proportionate to the, to the, um, to the situation. And I just didn't know how to react in those uh, um, situations, which made, then made me look like, even though I'm being done dirty, then the people can now be justified because they've tricked me out of my position, right? So, um, and then I'm not being able to react and all people can see is my reaction and not, and then the the whole cause of, of that reaction gets lost in translation because I've now allowed them to win, yeah? But I didn't, I didn't have anyone 
to advise me on that. Like, Agnes, you know, I have the grace to walk away here, you know? Um, I didn't realise that actually people are crazy. Like, they want you to react like that because they want you to look bad. Because you fit in narrative at that point. Right. So when I was reacting and being like, yeah, I'm going to go, and people around me were hyping me up to react, then going away looking innocent and then playing both sides, I didn't realise that I was, like, feeding the vultures, basically. I, I had no clue. You know, I didn't even have clues until, like, my late 20s when I was friend. I thought, oh, my God, people must have had fun with me. I get it now, you know, um, because I could always be painted as, as the bad guy. Like, there's so many things, even information, even things that I know now, um, like, narratives that were, that narratives that are not correct. But because I was loyal and I never told the side of the story, not knowing that the people I'm being loyal to are telling something completely different. And that's the narrative that is still out there because of my loyalty. Like, so there's so many things. It will be love yourself and put yourself first. I feel like when you love yourself and you put yourself first, the only people that fall away are those that benefit from your lack of self-love. But when you love yourself and you're orbiting from a place of love and a place from abundance, and you know you feel happy within yourself. Then you're going to attract people that love that version of you for yourself. They're going to be like, "Oh wow!" Like your vibe, your energy, and then you start attracting that those level of people. So yeah, that would be my advice. Nice sound. It's funny when you said that. I liken it to being this is old school, folks. If you don't know what I'm going to talk about now, you're too young for this podcast. So back when you had AM and FM on the radio station and stuff like that. Like if you're not tuned into the right frequency you're going to get static through that jam and you ain't going to appreciate for what it is or you just miss it completely. You might go to 106, but you're on AM rather than FM. So you ain't going to get the thing. But once you, once you find it and you're on that wavelength, you hear it loud and clear and you're vibing to what's going on. So you kind of got to be consistent with what you're putting out because if you keep changing stations every now and again, people ain't going to find you. And when they get comfortable going, right, this is where you're always going to show up and you ain't there no more, they're going to get frustrated with you and just bounce. So you need to come consistently. And the only way you're going to be consistent is by being authentically yourself. And when you bring it, just be yourself. And if they vibe you, they vibe you. If they don't want they want to leave, trust me, don't find any excuse to go. You coughed. Oh, God. <laughs> Listen, I welcome people. I'm in a season, and I have been in a season for the longest time, that I welcome people walking out of my life. And I don't mean that in a, um, in a like, unemotional way. Like, you know, I don't possess anyone and nobody possesses me. So if we've been, if we've had a good year or six months or two years of friendship, good memories and so forth, and now my energy doesn't compute with your energy, let us just leave gracefully and and ref, and reflect on those two years of happy time that we had. Don't overstay your welcome. We don't need to overstay our welcome. And I always say, like, me too, if my vibe, because one thing about me, I love me. Like, I'm I'm good with me, right? Like, I'm not in a season that I spent so many decades from, from the far as I remember hating myself, right? And, and hating myself because of what everybody else said. You know, from a young age, you're too dark, you're too ugly, your, your lips are too big, you're this, you're that. I didn't know that this would be the fashion, by the way, at some stage in life. You know how vexed I am as well. When they call me, <laughs> I got big lips and all this stuff. It's like, you're right. in a talent salon on a, on a regular basis. Don't come at me again, ever. Exactly. The cheekbones, like everything about me was just... Um, and so it's like, so I've taken decades to fall in love with the version of me that I am now and obviously I'm a work in progress you know 
I have the grace to say when I'm wrong. You know, somebody points something out to me and they say, you know what, Agnes, I don't like this or I don't like that. You know, I'll always listen and be like, okay, let me see how I can, you know, navigate that and so forth. But equally, I love me. So it's just my being, just my vibe, no longer, you know, it irritates your deem- your spirit, you know, and it doesn't make you feel good. I can't change that. That's not, I'm not prepared. I've done so much work on myself that I'm not prepared to change my vibe for anyone. So I would prefer then people to just gracefully, you know, with grace, we all kind of don't need to be hateful or anything like that. Yeah, it can be amicable about it. We can be amicable about it and just let it slide. Um, I feel like that, <laughs> like that's the season very much that I'm in. That's me on a regular, to be fair. I did read something about, what also I read something, I posted something about, you know, let me reintroduce myself. I used to be a people pleaser, but right now I burn bridges as needed. I ain't got no shame for it, right? Because if I ain't venturing back across that bridge again, best believe I'm I'm freeing up some space on my phone because I ain't got time to have 300 plus WhatsApp conversation. That's just long, man. That's just long. And I've not got time. I mean, the energy I'm in, like, I really want everyone around me to win. I really want, I wish nothing but positivity and good vibes on everyone. I wish everyone to overcome their else. I don't judge anybody for any season that they're in. Um... And so I know what I bring to the table in that way. Like I'm very confident in that I, I'm not a judgmental person. So when I'm then orbiting in my space and people are trying to bring me, trick me out of the position that I'm in, that I've worked so hard to get to, it's like, Hakuna Matata. Wow. <laughs> wow. I think that's the first Disney quote we've read Matata. No, cut that part out because... Nope. <laughs> Oh, that was great. So if we then say, right, you've copped mad L's throughout your life. If you were to call them something else other than L, let's just call it the batch of them as a whole, right? That formed you to be who you are. If it's not an L, what has they what have they been? They've been lessons. They've been God redirected me. Um I should not be where I am right now. And I'm not even talking about like as a social impact entrepreneur, I'm talking about mentally. Mentally, I have no business being where I am right now. Um, And so I now understand that, you know, I was given obstacles to overcome so that I could overcome them. And I also believe um, for anyone that is spiritual out there, like if I had to overcome them for generational curses, for me to make sense of my life, the only way I can make sense of it is that, okay, I had to go through all those things, some horrible, horrible things um, in order for my children not to have to go through that. And when I think of it that way, I could have gone through more. God, give me more. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, because one thing my children are not going to do is go through even a percentage of what I've gone through. Do you see what I mean? I, I can, when I look at it from that perspective, I, I even feel like, okay, I, yeah, I have the capacity for more. Um, so I see that as lessons that I needed to overcome so that generational traumas, generational curses, I don't know, generational habits, whatever it is that you want to call, they could end with me. And then through the fruit of my womb and my children and their children and their children's children, you know, yes, they're going to have other problems and other obstacles to overcome, but I don't want them starting from my starting point. I want them starting from another starting point. That's a valid point. And I think I'd like to think, that's what all parents kind of want because I was I was brought up saying, oh, I'll be better than your parents. And it's like, 
this is no disrespect to anyone that does this, but you'd have to know the backstory of my dad for me to say what I said. My dad was a bus driver. I'm like, we well, ain't making it hard, are you? And I say that because my dad wouldn't apply himself. Yeah. He kind of took the easy way out. Yeah, he was great at driving, but like bus driving is a mad stressful job. Having a whole heap of people trying to tell you what to do, people trying to overtake you and stop yeah. and mad. He was great at it. But did he apply himself to get a job, a career that he really wanted? No, he didn't. So for him to tell me to get a job better than him, it's like, well, that's easy. I'm going to enjoy my job. Yeah. You don't. You're just doing it because it pays whatever bills you need to do. And you, you can say you're doing something. And I think the mentality of most people, my, my great people anyway, was to tell their children to do something better, than, do better than what they did. And fun fact, I'm part of a group, uh, Music Football Fatherhood. We had a WhatsApp conversation probably a year ago now. Someone asked a question about their child saying, should I get make my child be well-rounded in everything, as like, from an educational point of view, or should I encourage them to lean into what they're interested in and have a passion for? And most of the conversation, because most of them in the group are from ethnic backgrounds was kind of like education well-rounded education some were saying lean to the passion because we've never afforded it ourselves growing up and I found it interesting I was like it's interesting how a lot of our parents came from another country to the UK and they jumped from job to job to job had multiple children and did a damn good job of it yet we're expected to go into to go into education stay there for as long as humanly possible get a piece of paper that says that we're qualified to do this and then sit in a job for the next 35 to 40 years. Yeah, no. How is that better than what they've done when they've achieved so much greatness because they back themselves? Like to uproot yourself from a country no, that you, like you said about your support network, to come here, to carve out a space for yourself and your soon-to-be family and you're in a, in a time where your colour of your skin made you an easy target but you still did it. You didn't stop with one child. You had holy put them and you did it. But you telling me, oh, no, let's study and sit in that environment. For what reason? I, I, I want to enjoy what I do. You, you've seen things that I can't see. Yeah, no, I agree with you in that. I mean, for me, my philosophy is that my, I want to expose my children to as many things as possible so that it can find out what their passion is. Because I think oftentimes... You know, I know myself, I was never afforded to know what I was even capable of doing, you know, because who's going to take me to the, I don't know, theatre training or, I mean, I used to take myself to those places, but I never ever had anyone like motivating me or backing me or, or anything like that. So for me, you know, I want to expose my kids to as many things as possible and then they can make an informed choice. Of course, there are basics, you know, um, you need to know how to write. Like, let's say, for example, you want to be a football player okay, you might not need to be the best um, A-star student, but you're going to need to know how to read your contract. So you're going to need to <laughs> know like there's some academics that you're going to need to know. You're going to need to know your maths. Otherwise, people are going to swindle you out of your coinage, right? So there's some things that you're going to need to know to even complement your passions, right? Um, but ultimately, I feel like we need to be exposing our children where we can to different you know, different, different skills where possible. And then we will find out where where they can go and nurture that, you know. But obviously being grounded in the fact that you're not a tree, you can move. Like, can I, I can't even imagine if I was eight, I'm not the same person I was at 18. And I can imagine if 
I'd done my A-levels at the time because I don't think it's A-levels anymore. And then I I left college and I'm still in that job up until now. I can't imagine it. So I think we should also be able to experiment and have the grace if we've got a certain um, foundational understanding of some key ethics and values and and our character, then we can move. We're not a tree. That's a valid point. I think it is important to understand what we can do. But the only way I personally feel that these things are achieved is through having types of conversations like this. Speaking to other people that have been through different life experiences. I got told many years ago, and I have shared this on a podcast before, that I was told by a guy once that, you know what, Matt, it's good to have bad people in your life. I'm like, what? So do you know I said that? Like, no, why would you say that? He said, because you learn from their mistakes. And then one time I remember coming back on the train from work. I don't know where I was working. But there was this one guy who I used to go to school with. Like, he wasn't in my year. He was like older or something like that. But he was all about trouble and then ones that I weren't. I just kept my head down, did my thing. But every time I saw him, I acknowledged him. That was it. Nothing, nothing too deep. Like, how are you? Good, good. Fam. Cool. Keep it moving. But one time something kicked off on the train. I had already acknowledged him when I saw him. But when this site kicked off and he was involved in it, he saw me and was like, Matt, you good? But yeah. And then he waited for me to move. And then they resumed. And I was like, rah. <laughs> wow, okay. But it's one of the things where, do I want my kids to be exposed to bad people? Of course I don't. Do I want them to graze their knees? Of course I don't. But do they need to? Yes, they do. There's lessons they need to learn that I can't teach them. They can't teach them. And we just need to make sure they have the character and and the fortitude to be able to navigate. For me, that's how I see my job as a parent. Like, my job as a parent is to be able to, you know, support my children in the character that they need to build. The world is going to do what the world needs to do. As I said in the beginning, when I talked about my own elves, the world is going to world. That's what the world does. Right. So like, even if you expose them to one group of bad people, it might be the other group of bad people they need to be exposed to. So you don't even know what to do. So the main thing is whilst they're under our roofs at a young age, you know, helping them, supporting them with their character, with their discipline, with their mindset, you know, with their resilience, you know, those character traits, that is it. You know, I always say you can put me in the Sahara Desert, I'm going to survive put me in, <laughs> put me anywhere on this God's green earth, right? Put me anywhere, right? And I'm going to survive, you know? Is it going to be easy? No, but I'm going to survive, right? And um, of course I need to eat three meals a day and all that stuff, jazz. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the point I'm making is is that, I, you know, it's the mindset, isn't it? It's that open-minded. And I think that's what we have to do is, is with our children. It's, you know, we, they're a the gift to us, but we don't own them, that we just have them for a period of time. Of course, we want, you know, I want my children to be around me forever, but I don't feel like I possess them. But I feel like whilst I've had the pleasure of being able to raise them and instill certain values in them, then those are the values and hopefully the building blocks that they'll be able to go out and be armoured to be able to face the world. Amazing. I agree with that. And I definitely co-sign with that. So next two minutes, you did to celebrate and share what's going on with you and whatever else you got going on. So I'm just really excited because I feel like so much is going on. Glow Mama is going from strength to strength. This year was our fifth year. But also we are evolving to more than just an awards. You know, for the past five years, 
we've literally been an award and it's every year around October, November, we put out the kind of notification for people to nominate their mums on social media, then to vote for them around January and then we have our awards. But now we're evolving, so we want to be a space where you can, let's say a positive TMZ for mothers, basically, and then later on for fathers, you know, like the shade borough, but with no shade, the borough. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but in essence, you know, a place and a space where you don't have to follow everyone on the gram, but you get to know what is going on with everyone, you know, that current information. So Glow Mama is is really growing from strength to strength. But equally also, I'm also the founder of Global Black Maternal Health, which we haven't really spoken about um, so much. But in short, we have um, a conference, which is called the First Annual Black Child Clean Air Conference. So the environmental justice movement lacks a lot of diversity, not just in the UK, but globally. Yet in the UK, for example, black Londoners are three times more likely to breathe illegal levels of air pollution. Um, It impacts us in so many different ways, not just mortality, but also things like autism. You know, if you live in areas with high levels of air pollution, your children are three times more likely to have autism, you know, mental health challenges, even diabetes. I was like, how is air pollution linked to diabetes? Like there's so many different issues as well as respiratory issues like asthma and so forth. So we we undertook a study last year, which was the first of its kind, um, actually speaking directly with black and black heritage mothers with children up to the age of five in London to understand their experiences, their attitudes and their behaviours towards air pollution. So we spoke to over 200 black and mixed heritage women based in London and we're launching the findings at the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecology in June, in summer. So that's really exciting. Um, we're having industry, we're having community, um, as well as, you know, key speakers. But for the first time, you know, we as a black community being centred in that conversation, it's not being done to us, but we're there leading in the conversation as leaders and as change agents. Fantastic. I wish you every bit of success with that. And obviously I'm here to help support wherever possible. It's it's really eye-opening for me as, as a listener. Yes, I have these conversations with people that I've been fortunate enough to come like cross paths with. And you, as I said from Not Jump, I've just been inspired by you, how you conduct yourself, the things you're doing, I'm rooting for you. And like I said to someone else today, that this person I'd known for quite some time, a few years, almost, like maybe two decades. And I'm like, because you're winning and moving forward it's encouraging me to keep going forward so when I look at people like you and all my other guests I've got on here because they're still daring to do it's encouraging me to keep going and you may not have heard it before but I've said previously and this is where my head's at an analogy I've liked and you can probably tell I love analogies it's a matter of life is like you put a plank of wood down you hammer it into the wall you put prick stick on the wall you put no one else whatever you've got available you you slap that against the wall and hope to god that this holds in place and then you take another step you take another step but you ain't got time to get no building inspectors involved or no architect involved you just got to take a leap of faith and do it but there's people cussing you out because they see how far you got and they say but it's easy for you to say because you're the way over there you don't know how many heart attacks i've had in this journey from where i was to where i am now that is it that is it it's a matter of hearing you take all these steps makes me feel like, well, if you can do it, 
why can't I? Not because you and I are on the same page or anything like that, but because... No, but I want people to leave thinking like that because my story and my testimony and the reason that I am even speaking, and I would never have even spoken so candidly even a couple of years ago, but I feel like it's actually my duty, the more that, you know, I'm being blessed and certain doors are opening, the more I need to be more transparent for other people to know that, look, I don't come from wealth. I don't come from money. I don't come from um, connections. I don't come from opportunity. I don't... I just come from the soil <laughs> in this earth. Like, literally, I don't come from anything, you know. People that knew me when I went to school can testify themselves. Like, I was seen as the poor black girl, you know, seen as Trumpy, no money, no nothing, right? And I literally clawed myself and still clawing so that my children are never, ever in that situation. So if I can do that with, not, with like, I've not even touched the surface of, of my life story, you know, because certain people that have harmed me, they're still alive and breathing, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to even do that. So it's like, you know, if, if I can, if I can do that, and when I mean do that, I really want to focus on mentally. I'm not even talking about like the, anything like the Glow Mama Awards or what those, those achievements for me, it's your mentality that goes first before anything else. So if I can menta- if I can mentally get myself out of some of those situations, and I'm not talking about mental health, mentality and mental health are two different things. Mental health, anyone who's experienced any mental health, mental health challenges does need to go and get support, does need to go and get, you know, some, whether it's therapy or going to speak to their GP, that is for your mental health. But mentality is something that we can all work on, right? Um, and I really want to um, hope that people are encouraged, like what you said, like if you're hearing this and if even if, if it's just you, Matt, you one that listens to this and says, you know what, wow, like Agnes has really like come through a lot and like, wow, I'm, I'm, that's, my, that's my job. If it can be two people, that is my job. If it's in five years' time, that is my job. Like I'm, I'm, I will be very content with that. Um, because I think sometimes the stories we tell ourselves can be as destructive as the stories other people talk, tell us about us. Yeah, I think listening to all my guests on the podcast episodes, it's interesting because it's like, here's an analogy, just came out with it. You're in a train, one that's got like the old furnace, like the, the steam trains, and you're like thinking, I need fuel for this fire to go somewhere. Even some of the stories that you shared, other people have shared, I realised I've got more fuel than I thought I did because I didn't see it as fuel. I saw it as something that was a fixture within the train. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's toss that in there. Oh, you doubted me. Yeah, let's just bun that in there. Oh my gosh, look, this is like the most flammable thing I've got going. So yeah, that's what these conversations have done for me. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm completely gassed over that analogy I'm going to run with that for a while now because I think that's really good <laughs> listen I might copyright that before this this conversation ends ah uh, what's that <laughs> <laughs> it's fine it's fine as long as you as long as you redirect people this way it's fine <laughs> but it's just it's, it's I like that and, I, and for me it's all about documenting this stuff because I want my children when they grow up to be able to know whether I'm here or not that they're not the only ones going through stuff life's happening to them because life happens to their people and 
there are ways of addressing them. There's things that people have done so they can watch and say, oh, is that the right thing to do? Maybe not, whatever. But they can learn from other people's experiences. And I'm so grateful for you to be as open as you have been. I would honestly say I haven't looked to you in any worse way. I'm now looking at you in a more refined way, thinking you really cannot judge a book by its cover. You can just be grateful and continue to just be a nice person because if I didn't say the nice things I say to you and other people, knowing what you guys have gone through, that could have been the thing that tipped you over the edge. But thankfully, it's just helping people know, do you know what? I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm on course to get into where I need to be. So I thank you for sharing. I thank you for your honesty. I thank you for all that you do for the different people, the mamas, the, the dads, the other people you're working for, especially like the maternity world as well, because you're doing some big things. It might seem like a ripple to you, but those ripples eventually turn into waves. And there are people that you're going to impact that you'll never, ever, ever meet in your life. But that's a good thing because it keeps you, one, keeps you humble. And two, it just means you're kind of doing it for the right reason. You're not doing it for self-glorification. You're doing it because it's going to make a real social impact on someone's life. So Thanks thank you much. very, very much for jumping on. And you listeners, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And if you've copyrighted my steam tray analogy, that'll be like the fourth person doing it so far, I'm sure by the time this is done, after I tell my wife about it as well. But I hope you've got a lot from there and to understand that, you know, going back to that steam train energy, that there are things that we can probably use as fuel to help us get from where we are to where we're trying to get to. And not every yell is a loss. In this instance, Agnes says that it's a lesson or has been a series of lessons. And she's fortunate enough to be able to find the fortitude to be able to be that person, to continually grow and evolve and not let what other people say stick to her. But instead, she's helped use it as fuel to become a better version of herself or a version of herself that loves herself as much as she does now. People, do what you got to do to feel what you got to feel, whatever lows you're in at the moment. But just know your right now is not your forever. And you have got this. You survived every worst day so far. And this is not where it's going to end. And if it does end, it's because you allowed it to. But I back you. I back you so much. I think you've got so much more in you than you ever believe you do. You've got this. I'm going to love you and leave you. Catch you in the next one. And do me a solid if you get a moment. Go review this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That would be great because it means more people get to listen to these podcasts. So I'll catch you guys in the next one. And remember, not every L is a loss. Take it easy.